Tap-In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello and welcome to Tap-In Time, episode 18. My name is Gene. I'm Claire. I'm Rob. And I'm Andy. Andy Silvanus, Swedish-born Andy Silvanus, a recording artist based in Australia. His music is noted for its organic sound and fluid melodies played on the 10-string Chapman stick, an unusual instrument that blends elements of guitar and tune precision. Having built a loyal fan base as a street musician, Andy is also a respected solo performer at music festivals and events throughout Australia. His first 2021 signal is a collaboration with guitarist Randall L. Meek. And it's called Into the Fire. Andy is our guest today. Andy, welcome to Tap in Time. Thank you very much. And uh, good morning and good evening. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, it's uh, what, about nine 9.40 your time there? Uh, yeah, quarter to 10 in the morning. Quarter to 10. It's about 5.15 my time. Wow. The evening before. And Claire and Robert, you guys are both... Eight-ish, 8 p.m. Eight-ish, okay. I'm a little thrown off. Is there a half-hour difference there? Are time zones really that strange? Yeah, they are that strange. Um, Central Australian time is a (laughs) a half-hour time zone. Um, So we're we're half an hour off um, the eastern states, (laughs) like the east coast of Australia. Good to um, know. I don't know if that happens anywhere else in the world. I, I do believe it does, but yep. yeah. In you know, any other Commonwealth country, Canada, we have. Oh, you do have a half hour time yeah, zone. We have a well. half hour difference oh, too. How very quaint! It's very quaint. Yes. <laughs> I, I never, I never knew there was that sort of delineation. I knew that Russia had something like nine time zones, but I never <laughs> knew there was half time zones. I never. It's yeah. like cut time, it's right? So it's it's a march, right? It's like two four. <laughs> Get there a little quicker. So Andy, um, I'm so glad you made time for us. Um, it's not often that we get to, or that we have a program where we're in three different countries. We're we're hoping that Rod's going to join us, but it is really fun to be able to get together with you uh, in the morning and in the evening. Um, um, I want to talk about the new stuff. I want to talk about where to find your music. We want to get a little history on you. Back in Freehands Friday number 29, a few years back, uh, we were lucky enough to get a koala sighting. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, a small gray dot. <laughs> it was uh, probably more exciting in real life, I think. But <laughs> yeah, it was still, it was, it was, a, it was a moment. It was a moment. <laughs> Uh, we also want to talk a little bit about kind of the nerdy uh, Chapman stick stuff, um, things like your rig, pedals and whatnot, um, but also, um, you know, what you've been doing most recently during the pandemic and how you've been keeping busy. So maybe we can start with that and kind of open with what is the new frontier in music for you and what does it look like and what has it been like this past year? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, I was, uh, I guess I was lucky in the sense uh, last year that I really started quite um, seriously rethinking 
my way of approaching my music career probably about three or four years ago. Um, as you know, I was doing a lot of busking for quite some time and, um, things have, I think most, most people who are full-time musicians or even part-time musicians are probably aware of that the music industry is changing a lot and has changed a lot in the last decade. So we're in this state of flux. Um, and a lot of things, uh, particularly with the busking, were getting more difficult. Really, it's kind of been a gradual thing for the last seven or eight years, I think. Um, people carry less cash. They buy less CDs. There's more people competing for, for what whatever cash is there. So, it, you know, I started feeling probably around 2016, 2017 that I had to start looking at things differently and, and start changing things. So... Uh, by the time COVID came around, um, I was pretty well prepared for it. I have to say I was kind of just kept doing what I was doing. Yeah, so I've been transitioning into doing more stuff online, really, in, in a nutshell. Yeah, and I've, I've been seeing some of the live streams and enjoying that. Um, it's so fun to watch when you're performing and reading the comments as well, because... <laughs> People will kind of chime in and they'll probably say something funny to try to crack you up and you do a, a pretty bang up job. It's like, you know, some of these sessions are 40, 50 <laughs> minutes long and uh, you keep a straight face throughout. Uh, how has that been going? Like the, the kind of the living room concerts and things like that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going well. It's very, um, it was always intended to be very informal. So I, I've never done like a ticketed event online or anything like that. Um, it was really uh, my main intention when I started doing it was to keep in touch with the people who uh, have supported my music over the years and who may not be seeing me um, for various reasons playing on the street anymore, maybe because they're from, you know, a different part of the world, a different city, or because I'm just not doing that type of performing as much. So I thought, you know, let's let's keep it going, similar style. And, and I was always very... Uh, busking to me was always a very um, almost uh, internalized process. I'd just stand and play somewhere and, and enjoy myself. And whatever interaction action happened was always very spontaneous. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't me kind of setting up to do a show in the middle of the street and drawing a lot of attention to myself. I've never been really comfortable doing that. So... So it's it's very informal. It's very much me just kind of playing my <laughs> my usual things, um, you know, in the room or out in the garden if the weather's good. So just give give people a little bit of a taste of uh, of what I do. So I know I, I really enjoy watching them. Uh, there are great master classes and watching what you're doing and how you're doing them because there's some things you you do and it's like what's he doing and you can actually watch you do it. So. They're, uh, they're fantastic uh, resources to watch. So I, I was actually saving every one that ever came out so that I can go back and watch them over a couple <laughs> times, right? So, so. Uh, I'm very flattered. I, I never really thought of, um, thought of it from that angle, but there are a few stick players who do pop up every now and then. And, and then I realize, you know, these every now and then I'll, I'll get a comment from a stick player. And I think, 
the way the stick community works generally pretty uh pretty friendly and sharing and uh i think if we can trade a few little secrets here and there it's a good thing favorite things that Emmett mentioned I asked him if that was a surprise you know and he was so he was just kind of glad when it kind of came about you know how people came together yep. in these different regions and you know started small and went big but it wasn't it wasn't sudden it didn't just like flip on it took it has taken a lifetime you know yeah, for yeah. To, to, to build up that um that following and that familiarity you know so it's that there are a few people that that do play out and busk you know like jim meyer is one of these people yeah, as well yeah. you know and um so where where would you busk tell us a little bit about like when you were busking like share us like what was that experience like um i started playing in rondo mall in adelaide which is um, a pedestrian shopping strip, basically. It's, it, it used to be part of the, one of the main streets in Adelaide. And in the seventies, they closed the traffic off and turned it into a, a pedestrian mall. So it's, um, Australia's longest outdoor pedestrian mall. It's about 550 meters long, I think. And, um, has been a very popular busking spot for, for decades now. Um, so I just, I had actually been out of music for a few years before I started busking and I had been observing a few people um, who were playing there and kind of formed this idea in my head that um, I would be able to make a living doing that sort of thing. <laughs> so I, uh, I very abruptly quit my uh, other occupation that I was doing at the time, which was driving a delivery van. I was still doing music on the side, but it was kind of like I, I, I decided to just get out for a few years and uh, pretty much overnight became a, became a busker. Um, it was a little bit scary. I had kids in primary school at the time and it was sort of a leap of faith. <laughs> um, I had uh, one album that I was burning uh, and I started off, you know, burned 10 copies and did some printing and went out in the street <laughs> um, and just uh, just kind of played. You know, I probably could play about five or six pieces of music at that point that that were sort of semi-coherent. And uh, yeah, just it just worked. <laughs> well, when you bus, when you got your gig busking, did you have to compete to get it or... Do you have to apply to get it, or you can just show up on a street corner and play? Uh, you, in the, the system in Adelaide is quite um, quite easygoing, so you do need to get a permit, but um, there's no audition process. Uh, there never has been really in this city, um, and 
uh, although they've they've kind of made things more difficult in recent times. It's it was very easy to just go and get a permit and then go out. As long as you follow the rules, you, you're fine, basically. Yeah, I think in, in Vancouver, Jim has to um, get a permit and, and go through the... He can't just show up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the... Um, Melbourne in particular in, in Australia has, has uh, a very serious busking application process with, with an induction session. And uh, if you want to play in the main the main drag there you also have to audition and fulfill certain criteria so it's it's quite uh, quite a big deal over there yeah so so adelaide's pretty pretty straightforward by comparison you don't have to do like pre-sale tickets like it was down on the sunset strip <laughs> no <laughs> none of that and then um as you know, as years went on, I started uh, traveling a bit and, I, I, you know, I busked in other cities and um, I went to Darwin in the winter time when it got cold here, uh, like around this time of the year. Uh, Darwin's in the far north of Australia, so it's a very tropical climate. And uh, how, how far away is that? Perfect this time of the year. It's about three and a half hours uh, on a plane from Adelaide and... Um, during this time of the year, when it's winter down south, it's uh, basically their dry season. So um, it's uh, very warm and full of tourists and outdoor markets. Um, so um, it was a really nice place to go and perform as well. Did you have family up there? Did you just roll up there? No, I just kind of went. I've, <laughs> um, I think busking, you know, I think it's one of those things that everyone should try because it, it changed me as a person. Um, I became much more open to just going somewhere and, and trying something. Um, it's 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 kind of like um, my son, when he first, uh, you know, was in his late teens and started looking for work, he took one of these uh, sales jobs. Um, they call them charity beggars, <laughs> guys who stand on the street corner and try to get you to sign up to, to supporting um, <laughs> uh, Amnesty International or something like that. And, you, and it's kind of like a hard sell situation, but it, it put him in a situation where he went from being very introverted to being able to speak to people very openly. And so even though the job was um, terrible, and difficult at times, um, and confrontational at times, uh, it, it sort of changes you and opens, opens you up in a good way. And busking can be the same. It can be, it can be confronting at times and, and not always pleasant. You know, the weather can be terrible and some people are just, you know, angry at the world and, uh, <laughs> and you're out there. <laughs> But I found it ultimately it's it's sort of uh, made me more open to just going somewhere else and uh, trying different things. Yeah, I, I've I've busked only a very few times and it was out in Venice um, and it was humbling because yeah. it really is just you and I've done solo gigs and you know, you're in control of that, you know, when it starts and it ends and you know, your power sources and, you know, everything's been kind of arranged, but, oh, the recording stopped. Oh no, it didn't. Sorry. Um, 
Vic will edit we, might, we might have to do this again tomorrow, right? Squirrel. Yeah, exactly. No, no. It, 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 was, it was a residual message from when our friend Rod joined us. So, hey, Rod. Hey, <laughs> how are you guys doing? How are you? <laughs> so we are in, what, four different countries in four different time zones. I think we covered the whole, uh, like, 24 hours, right? Uh, a tap in time first. So, Rod, out of curiosity, like, how was your evening? And, and what time is it and where are you? <laughs> so, uh, I'm in Lisbon, or near enough, and it's 1.30 a.m. I just got home from a gig, so <laughs> it's been a very long day. But I couldn't miss this one. Yeah, you can't miss this one. You're a champion. <laughs> uh, this I'll one is with Andy Salvano. <laughs> Yeah, I have a problem with my mic, I think. Oh, that's okay. okay. Yeah, just I, keep just, uh, I keep kicking mine as well. So <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, I was eating Cheez-Its and drinking wine and mine earlier. So <laughs> because it's, you know, it's 530 out here and it's a Saturday. So uh, uh, you missed why it, not? Rod. Yeah, why not? Uh, Claire said, um, we're talking to somebody from the future. <laughs> <laughs> it feels very high tech. Yeah. yeah, but half of half of us are in today, and half of us are in tomorrow. So, well, it's, it's almost an even split, right? Not quite half and half, but close enough. So, so we were so we were talking about busking. Um, I, I've only done it a couple times. Claire or or Rob, have either of you busked before? Or are you Rod? Have you busked before? Just got up, gone out in the streets, and started playing? I have not. I have to confess. I, I, I've done this festival every year uh, called the Bestival. Mm. Um, and so I sit on a street corner and play for an hour. So nerve wracking as heck for me because I don't That's get to do it. That's pretty close. So, yeah. so my goal was to always, um, there's a little touristy town about 20 minutes from here. So I was always going to go just show up and play. And apparently I can just show up and play because I don't need to get a permit there. But I don't know if that'll change or not. So anyway, if, COVID, end, if a COVID ends, I'm going for sure. Yeah, cool. Andy Silvana said, go for it. I mean, like, what more <laughs> What more do you need? You know, like, yeah, just go for it. I have not bust, but I, I used to do, uh, this was before I played stick. Um, used to do, like, craft fairs, and I've done oh, yeah. malls and things like that. For It was a small ensemble group. Um, so not, not quite busking, but, you know, the usual stuff where people start talking to you or yeah. vendors start getting angry that you're playing too loud or, yeah. you know, that, that <laughs> getting like, you know, the sun and the weather, all, all that part of the fun, just not actual busking. <laughs> it's very close, though. Um, I think, I think when, when you're on a stage, there's always this kind of, is almost a wall between you and and the audience in in most stage situation situations and people feel there's this kind of um a slight separation and when you go out and and, and play even you know whether whether it's markets or if it's on the street or whatever wherever you kind of lose that the, the invisible wall that's there is, is gone. So people feel very comfortable coming up and telling you what they think, <laughs> <laughs> giving you a few tips or uh, giving you a few hints, you know. I wonder, too, if it's the physical separation that isn't there. You know, like when, when you play in those areas, you don't really have a stage or, you know, there's nothing yeah. physically separating you from the audience. And I wonder if that's part of it. Although I've seen people kind of just walk up on stages before, too, so... 
maybe that's not it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, people... There's a thing too with the, with the state, like I've, I've been involved in a few um, events where they, you know, someone wanted to have busking and then they put a stage up for it and um, it doesn't work. You don't make Do you know how tips. busking works? The, like, yeah. Because like... the moment you put someone on the stage, they, they assume that you're getting paid to be there. <laughs> That's one thing. So they stop tipping you. Um, and, you know, but in Australia anyway, Australia is not really a huge tipping culture like in the US. So you, you really have to make it clear that you're working for tips if you, if you are, <laughs> you know. Yeah, this is what I do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when they, when, they, if anyone gives me a stage these days and, and I'm a busker, I just, you know, I'll just go out and stand in front of it. <laughs> so I have another question in related, related to busking though. Um, you obviously have CDs to sell when you play, right? I'm assuming. Or, yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. Do, do, do yeah. you have any other mediums like uh, thumb drives, download cards? I started, um, actually last year, I, I actually did a run of USB drives. Um, I found that they, I sold more of them online than I did when I went out and played because it's kind of one of those things where you whack your, your entire, your entire back catalog on a, on a little drive. And then you have to charge a certain amount of money to make, make them worthwhile doing. Um, so it's not quite as the the financial consideration is different from a CD. Um, I had to price them at at fifty bucks to make it worth doing, um, and sell them to people who essentially wanted all of my albums at once. So it's a, it's a slightly different audience from the people who might walk down the street and go, oh, "I like this guy, I'll just buy a CD." That has changed, though. That, like I said, that's that started changing noticeably about five years ago, where where people are going more to streaming. So, the CD sales these days are are, are very niche market. I, you know, I go and play at a certain market up here in the Adelaide Hills, and uh, it's kind of out in the country a bit, and there's there are more people uh, up there who still want to buy CDs. So. So it's kind of a more specific audience. Um, still sell them, but not not as many. Will we see Andy Silvanus on vinyl anytime soon? <sighs> I'd love. To, I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to release some music on a proper record sometime. But uh, once again, financially, it's it looks kind of daunting. I, I did put it out there on my Facebook page a little while ago, you know, would anyone buy an, a real album? <laughs> and I did get probably about a dozen responses. So that, that makes me feel slightly optimistic about it. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> gotcha. So Rod, I know you just got here. Uh, we had laid out a couple of things that we wanted to cover. What did you want to ask Andy to start with? I know uh, you're just getting to the party, but I want to make well, sure. Well, I have a bunch of questions for him, <laughs> starting from how do you get that tone on the stick uh, to, the, to the other side of the, the, the whole scope, which is uh, the whole Spotify thing. How, how you, do you make it work? Because I know you, you're one mm. of the few guys I know that makes it work, so... I got that also with everything in between. Anything you wanted to talk about, I'm, I'm just you know. Well, I'm let's a, let's I'm talk about fan, streaming. So, yeah. Let's let's talk about streaming. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm so curious. Tell us about 
that transition about five years ago and when you decided to make that move, what, what that was like and what that felt like and, you know, Rod, if there's specifics that you want, just jump on in there and let us know. It's, um, it's a subject that's probably going to make half of your list, half of your, half of the 18 listeners switch off. <laughs> it's a bit controversial. So, so um, we had 17 until you, know, you got here, Andy. So now we've got 18. I that have, was the joke. I, I, I'm, you know, generally consider myself a pretty nice guy and I have been unfriended in the last couple of years by a few people over the whole streaming thing. And, uh, you know, I didn't go all of a sudden CDs are dead and, um, streaming's a godsend and that's it. You know, like I've, I've never said that I've always just thought that musicians, um, should embrace whatever helps them, uh, reach an audience. So I started, um, I started noticing four or five years ago that really a lot of my actual CD audience was also streaming the music. So they were, they were buying CDs, but they were, they were also streaming for convenience. And, um, sometimes by choice, you know, and sometimes because, their cars no longer had CD players in them and their computers no longer did. And I kind of gradually um, started thinking, well, if they're still buying CDs and streaming, I might as well let people know that I'm on Spotify and I'm on Apple. Apple, Apple Music's only been around since 2017, I think. So that was my, uh, the first thing that st I guess started shifting my opinion a little bit about that it's it's not necessarily that one thing is going to replace the other it's that they have different contexts in which people use them and that's true for me today like i i use um both apple music and spotify at times i still have a collection of cds that i play i still buy cds um, my daughter just um gave me an entire collection of sufjan stevens music on on vinyl uh, for Father's Day last year. So I, I listened to music on all types of different formats. Then, uh, you know, in 2017, I went to do a few festivals interstate and um, I uh, ran into an Australian guitarist uh, named Alan Gogol, who is from Tasmania. And uh, we were chatting about uh, comparing notes about how much money we were losing going to these folk festivals, <laughs> you know, uh, getting paid a couple of hundred bucks. And then you, you sort of hope that you sell enough CDs to make it worthwhile. And he pretty much off the cuff mentioned um, um, that he wasn't too fussed about it because he was um, doing quite well on uh, on streaming platforms. And I thought, is this guy for real? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a, he's an acoustic solo instrumental, uh, acoustic guitarist, a lovely guitarist. So I went to Spotify and looked him up and sure enough, he, you know, he had a few hundred thousand listeners and it, he was very active at that time already on, on social media and had a, quite a big audience. And he said, I just started telling people to go and listen to my music on Spotify. And, um, you know, they started putting it on their study playlists and their yoga playlists. And uh, so he was already, you know, in 2017, making making a living literally from having his music um, 
on Spotify. And that kind of changed my whole perception because like everyone else, I've seen the memes, you know, I have the, the prog rock friends, <laughs> the people who go, um, you know, the, the one I saw on so Facebook funny. a lot was, um, Peter Frampton, a, a statement by Peter Frampton saying my, my, my song, what's the famous song of his, um, I want you show me the way something show me, maybe show me the way one, one yeah. of those songs. But anyway, yeah. it was streamed 55 million times and, um, he made, you know, a grand from it. So from 55 million streams and basically musicians commenting, yelling, you know, this is daylight robbery. And, yeah. <laughs> and if you look at that from a, actually look at the numbers from an independent musician's point of view, if I, if I put, something on Spotify through CD Baby, where most of my music is. And I got 55 million streams for a song. I would make roughly 185 grand from that. So while that's not, still not that much money for 55 million streams, it's a hell of a lot more than 1200 bucks or something. So what people aren't seeing is, is the perspective of someone who's a, a famous rock star or recording artist who has a big label that takes most of most of the chunk of that, or, or someone who's written a song and, and songwriters really are in a bit of a, um, that's, they're probably the ones who are, who are at the most disadvantage in this, in the streaming situation. But, um, I just kind of look at, at facts. And, um, when I go and look at my, my statement sheet now on, um, through my distributor, I see the numbers and the numbers show me that I've made 20 times more from digital distribution than I have from CD sales over the years. So something there does work. <laughs> um, I understand why people have a problem with Spotify and Apple and these companies because they are uh, big tech companies and they don't care about musicians really <laughs> not on the level of a you know a small label that will invest their time and energy into five musicians or five artists that they believe in so but at the same at the same time you know they they are big tech companies and um, they don't owe musicians a living they're there to make money so it's yeah <laughs> changed though in 2000 with the invent of the mp4 and it was basically the oh, yeah. death of the musical middle class and there's actually a great documentary about how the whole napster revolution and lime lime yeah. lime wire and stuff like that things like that came out and just basically kind of legalized it and we don't really have the musicians or the streaming companies to blame. We have the people that were paying for music to blame. So if you yeah, really yeah, want to know yeah. who's responsible. It's consumer here, driven. 
It's it's when people decided to stop pay, yeah. paying for music and and you get what you pay for. So what ended up happening was is you and, and I'm ranting now, but there was a reaction in the musical world, and that was is like publishers. It doesn't work like that anymore, and people mm. touring, you know, that sort of thing. It wasn't. It kind of went back to the old days. Yeah, but there was a very there was actually in the early 2000s it was a very interesting there was kind of a little golden era just around that time that that happened because this this whole kind of disconnect of the big record labels started happening and also the affordability of being for musicians to be able to record uh professional quality music by themselves and release it on their own um and just sort of, I found from from the late '90s to until um, probably the GFC started making an impact over here, which was more around 2010, 2011. But for about a decade there, there was this little golden window where musicians like me and also a lot of you know indie musicians who were touring were able to make just produce their own albums and sell them at gigs and people were still buying CDs by the bucket load. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I saw buskers selling 200 CDs in a day on the street and, you know, paying off houses wow. <laughs> with, with bags of cash. Hey, Andy, um, what so is we, the GFC? Uh, Global financial crisis, oh, which, okay. which was, you know, probably hit you over in the States, you know, way more than, than, the relatively stable Australian economy, but we still sort of around 2010, 2011, the economy kind of started slowing down a bit as a result of that. And that coincided with really this whole shift in how people were consuming music as well. So I've, I found it's, it's really been kind of a gradual thing over the last decade, more 15 years, maybe even. So um, yeah, it was an interesting time when around about the time when I started busking, it was still, it was very easy to, to sell CDs on the street. And, um, I heard of a lot of artists as well who were, um, kind of dropping off their labels and just basically producing their own stuff, um, because they could sell albums as they were touring and, uh, keep the money as opposed to giving it to the record companies. So there has been, I mean, there was a shift. I think now we're actually in a situation where there are a lot of um, options for indie musicians, people starting out. When, when you speak about the musical middle class, I think that that has, there's still an impact there because there are a lot of people who were, able to make a living, uh, possibly on, on, you know, on smaller record deals, um, touring. And that's kind of the, the group that's been hit really hard, especially with the pandemic, um, without live gigs, that's, there's just nothing there. Yeah. And, and that's really what I was thinking of, you mm. know, smaller bands in their twenties and thirties, you know, that can yeah. get a record deal and spin up a tour and sell some records, sell some t-shirts, build the fan base, maybe tour with a, a larger, more popular band yeah. or, you know, get together with a bunch of other bands and, you know, 
you know, afford a van and actually go out and, you know, book these $200 gigs up and down the coast here in California or back mm-hmm. East where the cities are closer together and, you know, break even. Um, yeah. But times changed, times changed. And then there was a pandemic and yeah, times yeah. changed again. So, so, and they'll keep changing. That's true. <laughs> That's, That's one true. thing I've learned in, you know, 55 and a half years is <laughs> Things will always change. And when you, just when you think things are going really well, something will, you know, there'll be a a spoke in the wheel. (laughs) How does it go? The the permanence of impermanence or something like that? Yeah, yeah. uh, we had it really hard here also with the with the global financial crisis yeah and it's it has been slowly slowing down the whole yeah, uh, yeah. money income so we've yeah. been getting poorer happily slowly you know but each each year gets a little bit worse and uh, so it's yeah it's, the pandemic it's a whole new deal as you said it, the it pandemic just stopped yeah yeah everything stopped for uh, for at least for for the what do you call it uh, the musicians middle class so yeah, everyone yeah. that was living from live gigs just stopped yeah. having income so even less than they had so yeah yeah uh, it, it yeah. just stopped you know j- the money stopped so m- most of the musicians that i know of they either changed start working in something else so they Mm. completely so most of the musicians i know had started working on something else or if you're lucky enough to live in a country that supports musicians or supports people during the pandemic so uh you can have like um an extra income or some government help or something like that uh so that might help a few people also but but it's not like it's gonna happen forever so Plus, another thing that happens with when something like this happens is, is that the next time around, it, when it will start speeding up again, there will be a new generation of musicians, of of, uh, of artists, whatever. So people w- will want to hear the new stuff, not the old ones. So it's kind of like it's a good opportunity to start looking at life differently. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a reset on on many levels, I think. Yeah. Hopefully, in, in some ways, maybe. <laughs> Just the forum changed, the way in which we deliver it. And that's, that is, I think, what is so crucial. Because, you know, for we'll have CDs for a couple more years. You know, like, mm. vinyl is incredibly profitable for people who can, like, you know, hit the vinyl world. You know, like, yeah. if you buy a record for, like, nine bucks, it's like, I get six dollars of that you know it makes cost me two dollars to make it maybe you know six bucks to ship it five bucks to ship it but you know they pass that cost on to the buyer and um it's it, it's a it's a different game but I, I will say andy you've 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 weathered it in style and, and i do <laughs> love to see you know like when it pops up in my feed certainly on facebook i always just let it play all the way through it's so enjoyable to see and i'll look over and see you just kind of grinning at the screen, watching people, you know, like kind of virtually tippy. It's just like being back in Adelaide, but I'm in my living room, you know? And so. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well played. Um, so I had, I suppose I was going to, I think we've covered busking and we've covered the industry. Rod, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on? No, I, w- I wanted to know how. How Andy saw all of this because I knew he was he was making it work, 
So that that was one of the curious things. Then well, I have other questions, but not relating this. Well, go Sorry. for it. You just got here, and it's like two in the morning. Like <laughs> you get to ask your questions first. I guess I started kind of transforming my 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 regular listening audience um, and getting them, just letting them know that yes, I'm okay with the fact that you listen to my music on Spotify. Um, if you do, tell your friends. Um, tell your yoga instructor, um, tell your pregnant friend who's going to want to have it, you know, <laughs> to keep their babies calm. <laughs> and I started just looking, I started spending a lot of time online, just finding people who were in the same situation where they were kind of transforming, um, mutating from real life mu musicians into online musicians um, and just kind of networking a lot, which meant spending a lot of screen time uh, on, you know, just a lot of time online and meeting people virtually like the guy in Norway that I just released a song with, um, who's, um, a guitarist whom I've never met, but I've released uh, three pieces of music with him now. And people like that, some, some of these people have quite a big audience as well on, on streaming platforms. And that in turn helps get your, your music out there. So it's very hard work and, and a lot of screen, like I said, a lot of screen time to begin with. And then gradually it's, it kind of starts snowballing. And once the, the algorithms of these, these platforms pick up on that, your music is doing okay in certain circles, it, it, snowballs as well they'll start you know spotify is is whether you love it or hate it is an incredible incredible machine in terms of uh being able to read your mind if you listen to a certain type of music and certain artists it's going to come up with suggestions that are often um uncannily suitable to what you what you'd normally listen to you know none of the other streaming services have even got close on that in that respect Apple Music still thinks I listen to hip hop, so um, they, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, they pay better, but they they haven't got a clue. But um, so yeah, things things kind of start moving on their own after a while. But it it does take persistence and just kind of banging your head against the wall and and trying to get on on uh, you know on people's playlists and you know, messaging and, and it's becoming more difficult as well because um, I think the latest estimate I heard is that 60,000 new songs are being uploaded daily on onto streaming platforms. So 60,000 a day, <laughs> yeah. you know, in that, two years ago, it was 40,000 in, in two years time, it'll probably be a hundred thousand. So um, this is the flip side of how easy it's become for people to sit at home and record their own music because the crayons used to be really expensive and difficult to get hold of. <laughs> and now everyone's got crayons, yeah. you know, uh, it, it, yeah. uh, we can all, 60, we can 000, all record. That's, that, that's yeah. just amazing to think, you know, like yeah, yeah. how many of them, 20,000 of them are t in tune, you know, because <laughs> like... <laughs> Because you've got all these yeah. kind of novice musicians that are out there and it's like only in like the left ear or, you know, it's, 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 it's yeah, peaking, yeah. whatever it is. How much of it is really serious? In some ways, it's a free for all. 
It, and um, in some ways, it's it's exciting and it's great. In other ways, it's just a market that's being swamped with music, uh, and we're going to drown in it. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if you guys covered this already or not, but you're from Sweden, right? You're Swedish. Yeah, I was born and raised in Sweden. Uh, my my parents are Greek and American, so okay. Yeah. And then you went to the States, and now you're in Austro Australia. I don't, <laughs> well, I, I don't what exactly. Am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I don't exactly know you your story, but I would be really, I'm really curious about to know how how you how you find out about the stick, how you started, and how you went back and forth with it. I don't know if you guys covered any of this, but I'm super curious to know yeah, your story, a little bit of your story. Let's go with that. Like, let's yeah, where when did it start? Um, my parents met in Sweden, um, and my uh, dad was a greek is is a greek man who was working for the uh, american embassy in stockholm at the time um and my family had actually my grandparents moved to sweden for uh work purposes in the 60s my my grandfather was a forensic scientist and uh and he was previously working in the us um and was invited to come and work in sweden so that they moved over there And, um, yeah, so I was born and raised in Sweden. I was born an American citizen and probably could have had a Greek passport as well at the time, <laughs> uh, kind of a complicated, messy, messy family history. But, um, I decided to go and live in the States for a while and, um, just kind of see what, what it was like. And, um, I also went went to the Musicians Institute in Hollywood uh, to BIT um, in the mid 80s, which was a really fun experience. And in the meanwhile, my grandparents, uh, my grandfather had retired and decided to move to Australia. Um, so during holidays, I would head to Australia um, and spend a few months here <laughs> or a month or two and uh, managed to get an Australian uh, permanent residence visa as well. Were they in Adelaide as well or where were they? Uh, yeah, they were. Yeah. So that was my, my sort of connection with Australia. When I first, when I came across the stick first would have, would have been in the US, um, probably initially reading guitar player magazines uh, where I saw the ad um, and It just looked really cool, but oh, you're one of those guys. Very scary, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I think I saw, like everyone else, I probably saw a picture of Tony Levin holding one at some point, and then I did. Um, I went to Gorky's in, uh, I think it was on Coenga in, in Hollywood. That sounds right. So, so now we're talking, we're talking music in the 80s and 90s in Southern yeah, California yeah. and specifically in the Hollywood, like yeah. North Hollywood area. Yeah. And there was a trio there with a stick player. So I'm pretty sure it was Larry Tuttle. Um, he put guy. his hand up as, as the dude who was playing there. So I'll take his word for it. And, yeah. and he's probably still to this day, one of my favorite players. I just love, yeah. love his sound and the way he plays. And, um, This was in 1992, I think. So what, what was your instrument before the stick? Uh, I, was a, I was a bass player. Okay. I was playing bass, yeah. And 
even though I didn't immediately go, I need one of those. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I sort of realized then what, you know, this is what this instrument, it actually works. It makes sense. When you see someone playing one, it actually kind of pieces together the puzzle. When, when you just see the picture of the instrument, it, it, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> so just, people get angry. They see that big string in the middle and they're like, why yeah. do you do that? Why do you, yeah, why do, you do that? Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Why does it have the big string in the middle? <laughs> yeah. You, you've heard this question before. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. So wait, Annie, mm. quick digression. <laughs> Give us, just throw out a number here. Mm. Uh, what percentage of people that... <laughs> is, this a, is this a sitar related exactly. question? Exactly. <laughs> come on, come on. Everybody knew where I was going with it. What percentage yeah. of people like think it's a sitar, you know? Well, it's funny. You know, like I'll be busking and, and then I'll see people walking past, talking to each other and looking at me. And then I'll, I'll, I'll see, you know, the guy lean over to his girlfriend going, it's a sitar. <laughs> you know, this, this kind of thing happened all the time. Which is interesting because it, sorry, it just shows you how many people have no clue what a sitar yeah, is. Yeah, no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Like, yeah. That's one way to look at it. It doesn't look anything like a sitar. It doesn't sound anything like a sitar. No, anyway, sorry. And, and even, even musicians who, who come up and talk to you and, and say, so it's, it's basically like an, an adaptation of a sitar and... I'll go, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know the sitar very well at all, but I know that it has some drone strings going on and it's not, it's no, it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's, nothing. it's not even in the same universe. You can't move the frets on no. a Chapman stick. You play more than one string, like uh, it's two instruments it's, in yeah. one. Yeah. It's like. I had, a, I had a guy one day um, strike up an argument with me because he said um, that's, that's a double, I know that instrument, it's a double string mandola. And I said, no, it's, a, it's actually, it's called a Chapman stick. And he said, it's a mandola. And we had this, we had this big argument, like my word against his word and, and him leaving in a huff thinking that he knew better than me, <laughs> which was just uh, hilarious. It's, it, yeah. Was that you an can't Adelaide? possibly know yeah, what yeah. your own instrument is. Come on, yeah, now, no, th no. There are, th but there are some guys that will ask you or will put you in an argument with, that makes no sense. <laughs> yes. A, a quick story. I had one of the first videos I released on YouTube. <laughs> I had this comment from a guy saying the music is nice, but his technique is all wrong. And I was yeah, like, yeah. man, that's <laughs> the, the only thing you cannot say about the Chapman stick is because the technique, everything is new, so there's no right yeah. or wrong with this one. But he said it. It's uh, music is okay, but his technique is terrible. Yeah. So they will. If Larry argue with Tuttle it. says it, if Larry Tuttle says to me, Gene, <laughs> I want to see a little improvement in technique, I'll take it. Right. Yeah. But like from some like Joe on Facebook or. Well, also, I mean that that Joe on, on Facebook has probably never held a Chapman stick. Right. They're telling you you don't know how to play it, but they don't. Like I assume it's, it's just people, you know, knowing better than you do or just yeah, it's, yeah. it's just silly. You know, you can't have an argument with someone like this because they will always win. It's it's already so far off. The whole well, they, beginning they of came the for an argument. It's like, am yeah. I in the argument department? Like, yes. No, you're not. Well, it says <laughs> argument department right above the door here. Are you sure? No, you're in the wrong place. You know? Monty Python sketch. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good. Is there a Monty Python? Yeah. Is that a sitar sketch? There has to be. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be. Uh. 
So you were saying, so you were, yeah. you saw Larry Tuttle play, and yeah, and that's that's kind of when the instrument went on my on my wish list, and it stayed on my wish list until 1999 when I finally bought one. So. Are you willing to elaborate a little bit? Because you, you you made a, a very interesting comment that when you saw it played, it made sense to you, which is like, mm. I know for a lot of folks, especially coming from bass or guitar, there's a lot of aspects. That, that, so what specifically made sense to you seeing it played? Just that it was a, a, a really functional instrument. Um, so now, now that we've just been talking about people who actually <laughs> see you play it and don't get it. But, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we're just like we're, maybe says, we're yeah. just a more advanced breed of people, right? Um, but no, it, not not so much that I understood exactly what was going on in terms of um, you know the bass tuning or anything like that, but just that it was, um, like I said, a, a functional instrument that made um, a really nice sound and could be played in the context with other instruments and just, you, you know, a, a nice music making tool, um, as opposed to something that someone put in guitar player magazine that, you know, just looks cool, but is impossible to play. <laughs> but did you, did you think of it as a, as an, an instrument to play as a soloist or did you hear yourself playing it with other people or? I, I didn't know what I thought. To be honest, I was kind of, I think, I think it's something that a lot of, like a, a lot of stick players seem to come to the instrument at a, at a more mature age. And it's like we've been, <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I'll try not to wave my hands around. Uh, it's like we've been searching for something, but not quite sure what. So I got the stick thinking, Original, my I think my original thought was more along the lines of um, it's you know it's a cool bass substitute instrument that I'll be able to use possibly with the band I was playing in or uh, to come up with some bass centered compositions and when I got it it kind of just flipped me on my head completely. It, instead of me kind of going, oh, I'm going to do this, you know, funky bass stuff with it. It, I, it just, um, I kind of fell in love with the melody side of it first, I think. And um, it took me back to, took me back to being a kid and the whole thing of sitting at my grandmother's piano, maybe four or five years old and just playing stuff and not, not having any preconceived notions of which note did what and uh, where my hands were supposed to go. And, uh, you know, if I was playing a Phrygian mode or, <laughs> you know, what, none, none of that stuff. And it just, it was just fun to play. It was, um, it kind of brought something back that I'd been missing for a long time. I've never heard it said so beautifully, but I would agree. And, um, once the whole like why is the big string in the middle <laughs> um once you get over that you know and and you realize that the functionality and how natural it feels in your hand 
Um, and having at least a little bit of experience with with playing a bass or a guitar or a string yeah, yeah. instrument, you know, or like a, a mandola, maybe a mandola, um, <laughs> or even a sitar. 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 Um, you can you you. It's this puzzle, and so that's kind of you know this this puzzle, and it's like you never really finish the puzzle, but it's like so much fun to figure out how things kind of fit together, mm. where these pieces do fit together. And I, I kind of feel that when I'm listening to your music, because it feels like you're just playing what you feel. You're just playing exactly what you feel. And I'm like, I'm sure like it, it may be different to you, but just those, like I can tell you busked where it's just like, I'm playing like, I don't care. Like I'm just playing like, <laughs> Like I'm just playing, it feels so natural yeah. just to like, it just like the music just comes out of you. you know? I think that comes from playing bass in punk bands, the whole, I don't care <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, no, but I, yeah, I appreciate that. And I think um, there's just something about the the stick that to, to me, I, I mean, people people often say what a difficult instrument it is. Um, and I think it gets that, that point gets exaggerated at times. And I, I think to me, the stick's an amazingly easy instrument to get a beautiful sound out of. It's, it's not easy to, to master and to, you know, to play stuff like, you know, like Rodrigo's playing, for example, takes a hell of a lot of work, more, more work than that I'm guy. willing to put in. That guy. <laughs> you know, some of the classical stuff's just mind blowing, but Whenever I've had a stick student, which is quite rare, you know, they show up once every three years, maybe, <laughs> you know, I, I the, the first thing I do is show them like the, the simple minor seven chord on the bass side and then just like and then just twiddle your fingers up up high on the melody, melody side. Just find the key that you're in. And that one chord and a little twiddle just sounds like music. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, you know, sure. As an instrument, it can be it can be incredibly complex, and you know the the hand independence and and all of this. It can be as as difficult as you want to make it. But in terms of getting a, a nice, you know, just a, a beautiful sound out of it, it, there's there's very the with the with that bass tuning and the way the instrument's laid out. I think it's uh, it's a very favorable instrument in that regard. You know, four string bass is a lot of work. <laughs> If if you if you pick up a bass for the first time and try to make it sound nice, it's uh, you know you, you're going to be in for a bit of a shock. Unless you're in, like in a punk band, right? Then it's like you just, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You just have to be angry. You just yeah. have to be angry and have an amp. <laughs> so tell tell us. I, I'm so curious to to know specifically about the stick that you currently have. Like, tell us the story mm. about that Chapman sticker. Have you had multiple Chapman sticks or? or and the tuning. I think Andy has a special tuning. We have. We must not forget no, to mention that. No, it's not special. It's it's just the classic tuning. <laughs> so, but you don't have the lowest string, right? I uh, well, I I don't. I, you know, I just play. I play a ten string with the with the stand, with the classic tuning. So, uh, it's uh, the the stick that I'm still playing to this day is um, is the old ironwood instrument that I got in 1999. And I have owned a couple of other sticks along the way. I had an alto for a while that I bought from Tom uh, in San Diego. 
which I kind of wish I still had, but I, I'm one of these people, if I'm, if I'm not playing an instrument, I tend to get rid of it if it's just sitting around for too long. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just keep, I've kept coming back to the same instrument. Just, uh, I like the way it sounds and plays and I like the dirt between the frets and <laughs> you know, the tuning machines that are falling apart on the back and, uh, yeah, just kind of know this feels instrument. like home. Yeah. Have you, have you had a 36 inch scale instrument? Uh, no, I've, I've, uh, only tried, um, other instruments that people have brought along from it to try. I've, I've played a couple of rail boards that people have bought locally. Um, 36 inch ones. Um, Al Slavic has a 10 string grand graphite, I think that I very briefly, we sort of swapped for a minute. Um, few years ago. Um, so I've, I've tried pretty much every model of stick available. I, I tried an NS stick once. There was a guy in Adelaide who was selling one and thought I was going to love it and I didn't get along with it at all. So gave that one up pretty quickly. <laughs> a very different, yeah, a very different yeah. instrument. Yeah. yeah. Very, very different. They're all, I mean, they're all great instruments. We all, we all know that how consistently good they are. I think I've just kind of liked this one the best. <laughs> have you tried a 12 string? I'm sure you have, but. I, I have. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just, for, for me, this, this, the 10 feels like enough. I sometimes wish like I had the additional, um, high end overlap on the bass side. I, I don't miss having a lower string on the melody side at all. I tend to, I tend to like the high range quite a bit, but, um, yeah, no, it's uh, may, maybe in, you know, in another 10 years, I'll go for 12. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of your music. I, when I go to the beach, I sit on the beach and I turn on uh, Reunion or Closer and I just lay on the beach and, and enjoy it. So you have such, you write such beautiful melodies. And I don't know if you write, I mean, I'm a composer, so um, I don't know if you write your melodies first or if you write your bass lines or your, your chords first or they both come together. I know the stick tunes pop out of the stick very easy for me I'm, I'm assuming they do with you so um how do you construct your tunes i guess yeah thanks for that rob I, you know hopefully this isn't too disappointing but i, I really don't have a <laughs> i don't have a set process for for writing music i think some you know some of them come very easily and i, I think there's this People often talk about how um, well, songwriters often talk about how some things kind of write themselves, like they come out of somewhere, and <laughs> and quite a few of I guess 
pieces like Summer, um, stuff like that, that, that just things I just started playing and there wasn't ever, there wasn't really a writing process to it. It just kind of just happened. <laughs> Other times, um, you know, I, I did an album in 2016 called Transform where I, I kind of pushed myself into a few uncomfortable places because I felt like I, I was getting very, very stale with my usual stuff. And um, it's not that it's like all weird and edgy or anything. It's, <laughs> you know, I think it's still pretty mellow, but um, like there's a piece on that album where I, I had an idea it was kind of sounding like a, a, a little country tune. When I tried to record it, it, it didn't happen at all. So I thought I've got to try something completely different with this. I was getting really frustrated and I was quite, I had a really bad flu at the time as well. And um, I started thinking, let's, let's try something just, you know, completely different. I, I tried a, a quite a short delay which I normally don't do. Um, and then I started putting rubber bands over the strings and wedging pieces of uh, paper in between the strings and um, started working on this, basically a prepared stick piece um, like people do with pianos and guitars um, and came up with this tune that has kind of a little African vibe to it that I'm really happy with. <laughs> it's called Walk With Me. Uh, on the Transform album. And and that was kind of a, you know, there's there are a few pieces on that album um, where I did a, a bit more percussive stuff as well. Sort of just slapping the strings, which you can see me doing if I'm doing my little live pieces, because it's something that, you know, it's I think it's, it's something that's been taken so far by bass players and acoustic guitar players in recent years, you know, uh, guys just doing amazing percussive stuff and it's something I felt like we just don't see stick players doing it at all for some reason I, I know you know we don't have the hollow body to do the do that kind of acoustic percussive stuff but bass players are ex a sitar has a really nice hollow body you I might try that I might try that but you know I just wanted to incorporate something uh, of a percussive element into my playing, which has since then has kind of become some, just part of what I do as well. It's not super flash or, or super complex. It's just adding an, a, a different sound um, and a different feel into certain compositions. So um, the other thing, Rob, is that everything I compose or create really changes as the years go on. So pieces are constantly evolving and they kind of, I kind of realign them to whatever frame of mind and whatever my current playing style is, is. So they, they're, I never sort of sat down to write music where I just play everything note for note over and over again. I'm it just doesn't really interest me to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> So just just to be, I'm curious about one thing. So it's like it's a very it's a very natural thing to you. The songs evolve and develop through time. But do you do you go after my? What I'm curious about is, you know, are you going after the melody or after the texture of the whole thing? Because I think I've heard everything you recorded. So, but 
most of your music, to me, other than the, the melody part of it, the, the beauty of a certain parts of, of each song, it's the whole context. It, it's, a little, it's like a, hearing a, a classical piece by a big orchestra. So it's the whole texture of the music that's happening that's really moving and that catches me. And that's why I, I can listen to, I mean, I can put your album and I won't listen to one song. I'll listen to the whole album because the whole texture, the whole music that's happening rather than a simple melody melody that i go and listen to it's just the whole like like a, a wave you know so it's the whole thing do you write it like this or do you listen do you go after this or it's just something that happened i don't know if it's if it's clear what i'm trying to <laughs> explain well, but thank, it's how thank i listen you so to much it. i'm i'm very very flattered <laughs> i don't know it's not really a conscious process that whole thing um like if there is a melody that that starts something off um then obviously you try to build something around it that that makes it work as a whole but i tend to do things all at once you know it's not it's not necessarily you know i won't i won't sit and um go well here's a melody and just play it with my right hand and then think what what am i going to do with my left hand it tends to be more of a complete process and also in recent years i've started as you know i've started kind of treating the instrument as a as a single mono signal most of the time as opposed to a, a stereo or split you know like two different sounds coming out of the same instrument um it just felt to me like that was where i wanted to go with it to have more of a unified instrument sound. So I don't think I've answered your question really, but it's, it, hey, you actually did because, but it tends, it's, I, I do generally, uh, I'll approach something as, as a whole rather than bits and pieces. How about recording? So like when it comes time, when you sit down, let's say you've just had your coffee and you're like, okay, I'm ready to get into it. You sit down And you play something and you're like, huh, I didn't plan on playing that. I'm going to record it. Like, how do you mm. capture that? Like, how do you build up to the recording? Well, actually, a lot of my recorded material is like, there's a reason why a lot of my, my recorded pieces are quite short because they, they're ideas that just came up. So I'm seeing that. So really quickly, like if you look at transform, You've got, yeah. you know, Walk With Me is a minute and 23 seconds. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Children of Forest is a minute and 26 seconds. Yeah. Remember, it snowed is like 211. So it, it's, it it's is the like punk these, roots again. <laughs> <laughs> these like, but it's like a sketchbook, right? It's like, this Absolutely. is how I felt yeah. on this date. Yeah. Okay. If anything, I, I tend to, like, I, I think a lot of, a lot of musicians I know tend to, Uh, work on their material for a long time so that it's really, really good to go in the studio and to be recorded like where, where they really, really sort of mastered the stuff. And for me, it's almost like I feel more comfortable doing the opposite where it's it's new and fresh and I have no idea really where it's what it's going to end up being and where there's room in You know, in five years time, if I play this piece, it's going to be three times longer and sound quite different, <laughs> maybe even to the point where I'll rename it and, and, and turn it into a new piece of music. But yeah, they're kind of, they're, they're like little ideas often 
So my my first album was called Fragments, and that was uh, I, I was initially thinking bits and pieces, but Fragments just sounds a little more a bit more professional. So <laughs> it's more prog for it's, sure. It's like yeah. kind it feels of more prog crossed over from yeah. punk rock to prog. <laughs> With the reunion album, that was kind of written to um, to a brief. It was it was an album that I was basically commissioned to do. So all of the pieces on that album are, I think, at least close to three minutes. One of them might be two minutes and forty five seconds or something. But they're they're all closer to being proper song lengths. <laughs> you know, there's no one minute songs on that album. So let's talk really quickly about the the new music um, that you mentioned. The last album was three years ago. Well, that Solar Cycles was the last full length album I actually released, which was in 2018. That's right. And um, since then, I've been kind of doing bits and pieces. I was um, I've had side projects going on. I was asked to record a piece of music for um, local hospital for a, a research project. Um, so that took up quite a bit of time and yeah, just, uh, I've been doing the, the whole streaming Spotify thing is, is to release music as singles. So I've been uh, in the last two or three years, I've been concentrating mainly on collaborations with people. I've done a lot of things with, with piano, piano players, um, uh, and acoustic guitarists. So just releasing a single, Ideally, you want to release one every week to add to the, <laughs> the, the sixty thousand songs that are added. Yeah, yeah sixty thousand um, and one. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm nowhere near that. I sort of you know have maybe half a dozen a year or something like that. Well, the the most the most recent one is uh, with uh, this artist that you. This is your third release with Iolf, um on the Valley View Records label. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a, a very simple, like I, I sent him um, a little stick motif idea with kind of drenched in delay and reverb. And he's he, he releases quite ambient stuff. And um, he took it and added a few uh, different instruments to it and um, turned it into a, a tune, basically. So once again, it's kind of uh, popping up on a few ambient playlists already after a couple of days and doing quite well. So what is the, what is the name of the most recent tune? Uh, what awaits? What awaits? Okay. Okay. That was a question. So that's the most recent, uh, yeah, that one was released two days ago, I think. Uh, It came up in my email. Yeah. Yeah, It came up in my email on, on, uh, 22 hours ago, actually. So, uh, there you go. Yeah, that's 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 my the next track that I want to check out. So I have a, a, another question, a quick one. I hope. So uh, plans for the future. So uh, things that you are really. I, I'm trying. I'm not to 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 lead you <laughs> to specific answer. <laughs> you know which one, but uh, yeah, anyway, do, so, yeah. yeah. So anyway, just let people know what you're thinking about doing and. Boom awaits for for us down the road from you well first of all my my immediate plans right now is like i've um i am planning to record another solo album this year so an actual full-length album because it's been three years so um that's 
the first thing on the cards and uh <laughs> just uh just to get away myself from the this kind of um single release mentality that because um yeah I just uh, I'd like to mix it up a bit and I, I feel like I have a few ideas coming up that will work well for a solo album um and I'll probably release it on CD as well um not sure about the vinyl yet <laughs> the other thing as you know Rod um so I have one of those dragonfly instruments on order which is an acoustic 10 string which I imagine is going to be quite different in many ways so looking forward to that as well looking at buying a few more pedals and toys to play around with of course but uh, you know that part of my um like my gear list never seems to be as complete as i want it to be i have the i was under the impression that you're one of these guys that doesn't really have a lot of stuff no i i try i i have a i have a long list and i sit around and and talk to other musicians and drool about equipment and drool over equipment and then i end up either never buying it or i'll buy something and then get rid of it a month later because it didn't really it didn't change my life <laughs> um so at the moment um i've just got i've got an eq and a reverb um and a, a zoom pedal on my board at the moment and that's it so What's the name of that speaker you 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 use that sounds amazing uh um i have an elite acoustics um speaker that they were very kind to send me a few years ago um basically because they had no one in australia using their equipment and uh, he, the guy who makes them uh, i think he's in california he uh was aware of that i was doing a lot of live videos and they sent me this lovely speaker um quite a few stick players are using their little preamps i believe um a, a stomp mix or digi mix which is a little four or six channel floor mixer that's really really cool little unit as well so uh, definitely worth a look yeah good stuff <laughs> so uh just one final question yeah uh, about the, the the new album do you have already like ideas of what you're going to to do record and develop or are you just you know waiting for them to show up before and another thing is how do you record do you do it i have a bunch of questions do you do it all by yourself or like do you work with someone because you have this i told you this many times before you have the most beautiful stick tone so uh i'm just trying to you know learn how do you do it And you're very gracious when you answer, but you never really <laughs> revealed never really the secret. Answered. Yeah, I don't. So. It's not. It's not a secret. I. I mean, I've used several different preamps. I don't think the preamps really the 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 secret. I do think there's the the older stick with the with the jumbo frets on it. It is. I think there's a slight difference in the sound and and probably. Maybe not so much the sound, but the way the instrument sits under your fingers when you play it. Um, I've, I mean, I've, I've had... Uh, I, it's a feeling. Um, it's a feeling that you get, though. It's like that smaller... It feels like a smaller instrument. Yeah. 
I do record on my own mo- most of the time. Um, I have at, on occasion gone into to some pretty nice big studios and recorded a few things for other people. And I have to say, generally, I haven't been terribly happy with how they treat the stick. So maybe there's just having that comfort zone of, of being able to work your own sound to where you want it. I think is, is for me, that's important. Um, I'm sure that I could, you know, if I was going to do a full album in the studio, I, I could work with an engineer and I could tell them, no, I'm not happy with this or, you know, take that frequency at 2k out, which I always do. And, um, but when you go in and you're recording a song for someone else and, you know, the engineer's will go, oh yeah, okay, oh, this is kind of like a bass guitar. So all they do is just heap on the bass and no. the compression and everything that I don't want. <laughs> yeah. Because I have to I have to tell you, I I use your particularly the the um, the Dream Recall album, you know, that's that's what I use as a reference. So whenever I record something, then I put you <laughs> and then I go and listen to my okay, this is what I need to do. So I keep going back to your records, you know, that's the the the, the reference that I have and that I objectively work towards. Uh, that one has summer on it, right? That one has summer on it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So um, the- something just went right with that album. <laughs> 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 I think I just got lucky. Uh, but someone, uh, I know uh, there's this guy with an audio file system who's also used that album as a reference album for some reason. Um, so I think just, Yeah, just uh, hit record at the right time. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Um, I'm pretty happy with the sound of that album as well. I think like Transform was was a deliberate attempt to move away from, like I said earlier, it was a deliberate attempt to, to sound different. And also the way the album was recorded, it, it's got a, a slightly bit uh, heavier on the bass um, than any of my other albums. And then with Solar Cycles, I kind of went a little bit opposite. It's quite a, it's not a bass heavy sounding album. It's, it's quite, um, uh, lyrical. It's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's, and it's, it's, uh, I don't want to say trebly because it makes it sound horrible, but it's kind of more, yeah, that it's more of a high range sounding album, I think. So, um, I think maybe on Dream Recall, I, I had a good balance between things and, I don't personally try to recreate it. I'm, I'm trying to do something slightly different. Uh, I think every album for me is kind of a concept album in some ways where I, you know, there's a, an idea behind the album that um, usually works in some sort of chronological order, you know, like memories and then looking into the future towards the end of the album. I can't wait to hear any of it, you know, with the new <laughs> album and but plus because I'm, most of the things that, that, at least the ones that, this is the impression I have, but the ones that get more traction on, on Spotify are the more mellowed songs or stuff like that. But you do have yeah. some very funky tunes also and some very, you know, uh, for, from that first album, what's, you have one that's, that has this amazing bass line. What's the name of that song? Do you know which one I'm talking about? Was it off a of Transform? No, I think he means an older album. Um, like is it Mind, you, Mind Your Matter? Is that the song you mean? 
Probably on or... closer. <laughs> I don't know. Afternoon base. You remember that one, Afternoon Bass? Oh, Afternoon Bass is kind of like the little solo piece. Um, yeah, it's like African music or something very, very funky. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I mean, it sounds it sounds amazing. That it's it's yeah. like you you can just study off of that. You know, everything you want to do bass bass wise on a on a Chapman stick. It's on it's on that little piece. <laughs> I like I like doing the bass stuff. I I guess I've moved away from it a bit. But I haven't moved away from the funky stuff. I think there's there were there were a few songs on on my last album that that are still quite upbeat and quite uh, like have quite a bit of movement in them. But um, the solo bass thing, I have a few things that I'm I'm working on, but uh, it's not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not promising anything. <laughs> I'm just using it. You know, I, I see these, I watch these amazing solo bass guys these days on, uh, you know, uh, on YouTube. Um, or like 14 year old kids, right? Where it's like, I oh, come and on. I just go, I don't want to, com I don't want to compete with that. It's one of the reasons I, I, I almost never use any distorted sounds on the stick because I don't want to be even in danger of being <laughs> compared to, to shredders, you know? Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Well, I, I, Andy, I've, I've certainly enjoyed our time, and uh, I want to make sure that if there's anything else that uh, that anyone else wanted to ask or, or, or just sneak in before we checked out, I just wanted to say, personally, it's a huge pleasure to to talk to Andy because for, for me, and I know definitely for Rob also, he's a huge influence, and we we've followed his steps. Awesome. And wherever he leads us with his music, so we're eager <laughs> fans. Oh, and, it's a pressure. Uh, no, nah, it's not. A it's 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 and it's it's the genuinely album from the heart. Be good, we, Sylvanas. We, it better, it better <laughs> be good. Rodrigo Sorau and Rob. We really Gallo. love what you do. <laughs> and Depending we're on fans. you. So, Thank you so uh, much. it's, it's a pleasure to, to and plus you're a super nice guy. So, and always available. So it was, it was something that we've long wanted to do this, this, this interview with you. So it's on a personal level, I wanted to thank you for, for allowing us to have this conversation with you because mm. you really are a special, a special musician and, uh, somebody that, that brings inspiration to us all. So thank you. Thank very, you so very much. much. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You, you, you are a, a giant amongst six players. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm going to tear up here if you guys don't stop. Now, where, where, what's the best place to get your music? Um, Bandcamp to me is, is the best um, platform for, like, if you really want to support the musicians directly. Um if you're into downloading, um, at the moment, most of my CD stock is sold out. So, uh, so I might just wait until the new album's finished and, and, uh, you know, the CDs will be available. I might do another run of USB cards, but, um, it's downloads on Bandcamp and, um, merch like USB cards things like that so um i'm very happy for people to listen to my stuff on spotify and apple music and all of these places as well so um obviously the streaming thing has been working 
for me. So if you if you stick me on on your romantic dinner playlist, oh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or uh, elevator music. All <laughs> um. oh, good. All oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So so Bandcamp, Spotify, yeah, Apple Tunes, yeah. all great place to find We're, wherever. Yeah. Um, gotcha. I'm, the music's out everywhere. So um, yeah, any anywhere you want to listen, it's good. <laughs> Great, great. Well, Rob, Rod, Claire, closing statements. Just thanks for joining us. Thank really you. Thank you so much, Andy. My pleasure. Thanks, thanks guys. Enjoy your night. All right. <laughs> Cheers. Take care. Cheers. Let's identify Andy's music that appeared during this episode. First, we heard Walk With Me from the Transform album. After that, it was Solace from Dream Recall. Then we heard Nightcliff from Solar Cycles. And the final piece we had was Summer from Dream Recall. We welcome your comments. You can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com.